I'm gonna talk about church today because I love church. I love the body of Christ. I love the local church, the expression of the body of Christ. That's not the only expression of the body of Christ, but it is a major one. And we love it. And God gave me a burden and a passion as a seventh grader for the local church that I can't shake, don't wanna shake. I love what God does in this local context. So a lot of what he shares with me and what I feel that burns in my heart has to do with how do we do this? What, the why, the, the where are we going and what's it look like and how do we grow and how do we mature, how do we move is like so much of this um, thing that burns in my heart. So I'm gonna do a little bit of a nerd out history lesson for you today, but um, just wanna catch everybody up, right? Everybody knows what the Old Testament is, right? Yes, Genesis to Malachi, right? We got the Old Testament books of the Bible and we have the New Testament, right? Matthew to Revelation, we're on the same track. And in between the two, how many of you know what that segment of time was called? Anybody tell me? What do we call it? What? 400 years of silence. It's been kind of, there's other names for it, I guess. I've always known it as that. Maybe I'm the only one, I don't know. But 400 years of silence where essentially, and obviously the world didn't just pause and stop, but for that season, God didn't send forth prophets, didn't send forth his word. Strategically, I assume that God was like, no, let's, let's do this and see what happens. And in 400 years, we kind of don't know. B biblically, we don't know a lot of what happened in that 400 years because we just kind of end with the prophets and Israel and they're doing their thing and they have Torah and they're practicing and they're very devoted and walking this thing out and they, they know what to do because God's given them all these commands and they have all these promises and prophecies and a Messiah to come and all these different things that are yet to come. So they're living in this thing and they just continue on going, I guess no prophets, we don't know. And they probably weren't like, uh-oh, this is gonna be a pause. They might've thought, oh, it's weird. It's been three months, three years, three decades, three hundred years, 400 years. They didn't know that this is how it was gonna go and they didn't know if it would ever end. But in this 400 years, we see a development of something at the beginning of the New Testament that didn't exist at the end of the Old Testament. I should do it the other way because you guys are all on that side, right? Anyway, I'm doing it. Old Testament and New Testament. At the end of the Old Testament, we have the people of Israel, the tribes, the nation of Israel doing their thing, the promised people of God. And come the New Testament, we have this entire culture within the, the Israelites, within the people of God, that didn't exist at the end of the Old Testament. We're talking 400 years, right? That's more than the entire life of America, right? So that's a significant amount of time. Like most of us, all we know is 1776 to now, right? Like is America, wow, we've been around for a long time. Well, 400 years is even more than that, where Israel functioned as a nation and things developed in that time based on people's own preferences, their values, the things that they gravitated to, the things that were important to them, the ways that they had been taught, the ways that they practiced their faith in God manifested substantially in this 400 years. And what we see at the beginning of the New Testament is a whole system called Judaism that did not exist at Malachi. And the end of the minor prophets, we didn't have Judaism at all. It's like, so now there's this whole culture and system that exists when Jesus comes on the scene and we're kind of like, where did all this come from? Well, here's kind of what happened, and it's actually important. So here's the history lesson. Hang with me. You're like, why is he saying this? This actually, I really believe, is important for us to understand. Because out of this 400-year season, the people of Israel developed this 
what we would boil down to essentially, and we could go way deeper, and some of you know more about this than I do, and we could spend hours on each little part of this, but five essential people groups and sectors of Jewish culture that created Judaism, that were Judaism in that time that Jesus comes on the scene. Some of those people groups you've heard of before, maybe you know some about them, some you may not know very much about, but how many have heard of the Pharisees? Okay, they did not exist in Malachi, right? Old Testament, there were no Pharisees. We never saw that word before, but suddenly there's the Pharisees, right? We also have the Sadducees. You've heard of them, right? We have a group called the Essenes is another group, not as commonly known. We also have the Zealots, right? Peter was a Zealot, right? There were a number of them mentioned in the New Testament. We see this whole group called the Zealots. And the other one is the Herodians, okay? So these are five specific groups. And then there was a lot of the Israelite people that kind of just practice Torah and all this, but these were kind of the five prominent sectors of culture and society that existed in this time when Jesus comes on the scene and he's looking at the nation of Israel and brings a solution obviously to this. But so each of these groups, just to kind of clarify, the Sadducees were essentially kind of a, they're kind of the political type people. They were a group of high priests that had been given the anointing by God, passed down over generations. It's part of the tribe of Levi. They were the Levites of the temple. And essentially about seven families out of this tribe created what we know as the Sadducees. And it was kind of this like political maneuvering, authoritative group that were like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna take power. We're gonna like, like work with the Greeks and we're gonna function in this world. We're gonna like see things move along that will benefit our people. That's a really good benefit in that. The negative side to what this group kind of evolved into is kind of a little bit of a mob mentality where there was some corruption and what that looked like was some self-serving effects from their authority. They were given God, given authority. They were in it to dip into culture, dip into the Greek world and go like, hey, how do we make this work and benefit the nation of Israel? That seems like a good motive, but again, it got a little corrupted by their own self-serving nature. The next group is the Pharisees, right? We hear a lot about them in the New Testament, right? They're the ones that are after Jesus all the time. These guys were big on what the word would be orthopraxy. This group were very, very committed to doing and living and acting Torah the law of God. They were very much into the practice of the things of God, the practice of the ways of God. And as we see, they were always on Jesus about, but you did that wrong, but you did that wrong. But you, like, that was kind of their negative side. Their better side was we've been called to be a holy people, set apart strength for, you know, for the nation and a representation of being different, set apart, a holy nation. So this is, they have a strength and a weakness in this group as well. The next group were the Essenes, and they would be really big on orthodoxy, which would be doctrine. They were big on the word, big on the Torah, really laid it down. And this was a whole group that actually separated themselves, okay, lived out in the desert and gave themselves to copying the Torah over and over and over and over again. This group of people were very committed to saying, no, the Torah must survive, the Torah must live, because the longer this 400 years went by, I assume they're going, if God never tells us anything else, We've got to have what he told us already. Does that make sense? So these people were given to the word of God, the writing and the scripture. We have the Dead Sea Scrolls as a result of this group of people, okay? The desert people that moved out, kind of separated and just said, no, we're going to preserve the word of God. It, really beneficial, right? We have these things that, yes, we had scripture, but then the what, 60s, 70s, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was this massive confirmation of the authenticity of scripture, 
because we're going like, wow, like thousand years separated, 2,000 years separated from when they were written to now all that we had seen that had been preserved in the scriptures we had were then confirmed with like crazy uncanny accuracy with the Dead Sea Scrolls. So thank you to the Essenes. The part of that that's kind of a pain was there was a lot of like legalism probably in that and this whole separatist thing, like we're just not gonna associate with people. We're just gonna be the people of God that preserve it all, right? So a good and a bad in that mix as well. The zealots were really passionate, right? How many, feist, how many people know feisty people? They're just like, no, we're gonna war for the kingdom of God. We're gonna like, this is like God sent us into cities and we conquered cities and we, they're the ones that will fight to protect the holiness of God, the treasure of God, the holy land, the promised land. They're the ones that'll go for it. And so they're this whole group that comes out of it. Obviously their benefit, right? was being a very passionate, bold, not gonna back down. They're gonna stand their ground and not be pushed around. Then, you know, that was the benefit side. The negative side was obviously that they probably went a little too far where they're like, I'm okay killing somebody if they're gonna stand in the way of God. Like, eh, let's not, you know, like we don't need to go quite so far, but I think we find that in a big way. The fifth group that we see, and this was a pretty widespread group within Israel, was the Herodians. And these were people who had kind of said, hey, we're Jews, we got the Torah, we're practicing, we're doing all that, but you know what? All this Hellenism stuff and the modern day and the pleasures of life and the art and the decor and the sculptures and the, you know, all the, the plays and the theater and all that, like, well, we can have it both ways. So they were really into all the like current pop culture, really leaning into it, but, going, but we are Jews, you know, we're still Israelites, but we got, you know what I mean? So we got five groups, are you with me on these? Do you recognize any of those groups today in the world? Again, again, again. And it's really shocking to me to look at these patterns and go like, where are we? How did we get here? Why did this happen? And why is it happening again? Well, we see that this whole system came out of 400 years of God's silence. And maybe you could say a lack of interaction with God as a person, as a reality. Like, it was kind of like, hey, if we're left to our own devices, we'll create things that out of what God wired us to do, they're gonna have this, this positive thing that like, right, there's a reason we lean into these things. It's a reason our values say, let's do this, let's do this. But without the spirit presence of God, the rhema constant presence of God, we will find ourselves creating things that mess up the very beauty of how God has intended it to be. So these desires and values weren't bad in any of these groups, but because it was taken into man's hand to control, to handle, to whatever, we lost the path a little bit and we saw a lot of separation. And in the New Testament, you see all of these groups kind of a little bit combative with one another because, well, you and this and you know, everybody. And then Jesus comes on the scene and messes the whole thing up because they've got, kind of got a good system going. They got their power, they got their control, they got all these things. And Jesus steps on the scene to this culture. A bunch of Jewish people that really wanna love God, really wanna practice the ways of God and the holiness of God and all this in their own different ways. And Jesus steps in and I think they're all looking to him when they start realizing who he is going, which one's better, Jesus? <laughs> which one's superior and who's dominant? Because we all, right? We all want the pat on the back from the savior, right? And Jesus somehow in the most God-like, Holy Spirit, amazing way says, all of you come. Let's deal with what's out of order, but come with everything that you are, you're all a part, you're all my people, you're all my chosen people, and, res and this, this restorative nature of Jesus 
comes and starts to shift things, which obviously messes with power structures and people get all bent out of shape. But out of every single group, there's an invitation by Jesus to say, come, follow me. Come, be my disciple, right? Deny yourself, your own preferences, your own things, your own this. Take up your cross, follow me. This is how Jesus does this. And this is what the unity of the body of Christ was, should be and was founded on. As Jesus brought back into order the people of Israel who are one nation, one people, under God, with purpose, with destiny, right? And Jesus, the way, the truth, the life, the only way to the Father is him. So what does that mean for us today? We're sort of in a similar season, if you will, of history where for maybe, you know, a thousand years, 1,500, 1,600 years, a lot of, from the early church to what we see today, there was a lot of seasons of the silencing of God, the cessation of the Holy Spirit, the let's not touch that, let's, you know, there was a lot of this, like, we're not gonna do that. A lot of, the, like, the Catholic streams were like the priests had access to the word, but the people didn't, and so it was whatever the priest did with the word. And so there was a lot of, again, a bit of a lack of the rhema, and we see these pockets of revival and the mystics and things that pop up through that. But as cultures, what we see today is we've developed what we would call not the same separations, but denominationalism has developed out of this, oh, this is how we do it. This is how we walk with God. This is how we follow God. And now we've got all these groups that out of not being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, particularly, some have been, right? And that's like, and we all have this, there's these strength points. We've come to a place where the church, the body of Christ, along with much of the world right now in, our, in what we're seeing, is very divided, very combative, very my way, this is how I like it, this is how I think it's, and it's based on values, culture, what you've been raised with, the different things, what's important to you, and how you honestly relate with the Father. And I don't think denominations, again, are a bad thing. I'm not going like, oh, this, we just need to all, you know, I think as much as I have four children and they all have four different personalities, I relate to each of them uniquely in some way. We're still one family, right? But each of my kids have their unique bent and different things. So I relate that way. I believe that denominations are an expression or an individualization of God's interaction with his children. Beautiful. A healthy, healthy reality that we don't all become this homogenous culture of the same. But there are values. You'll have the zealous people and they're likely to gather together. You'll have the word people. They're likely to gather together. All of this is a beautiful expression of the people and the body of Christ, right? But also can be a problem if we don't pull together as those parts of the body and say, hey, how do we do this together? So I wanna read through a chunk of Ephesians, hit some scripture here, and I was like, how do I just do less of this? But I'm just gonna do a big chunk. So that's how we're gonna do this, about half of chapter four in Ephesians, but I feel like it paints a lot of this picture, and this is, what Jesus came to set, came to establish, and Paul writing, going, hey, this is the call of the church of the body of Christ to move forward together. And it says, um, chapter four, verse one, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Not the unity of opinion, not the unity of practice, not even all of that, but the unity of the spirit of God that binds us together. Does that make sense? Really important. Through the bond of peace, 
There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ portioned it. This is God's design. This was Christ releasing, like, it wasn't like, hey, all just be one. It was as one you are, as God gave grace to each body, to each part, to each one, to each individual. This is what this looks like. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. When he, when, or when, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order, I love this, to fill the whole universe. He actually went all the way down, all the way up to say, no, all, 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 mine, my dominion, my place. And in that, his authority is well established to then do what comes next. Verse 11 It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers. How many? Five gifts, five structures, five ways of being. And this is maybe, I don't know like this is, but I feel this, I sense this, okay? That there's something connected in this reality. I'm not making that doctrine, but I'm saying interesting that out of five groups, five bents, and you could almost parallel each of those five groups with those five gift sets, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors, like each one you could go, oh, oh, oh. So there's a natural bend in humanity to do this, but there's also a solution to when we do it our way and our own way. And Jesus says, comes and says, to the church he gave, these five. So there's still structure. There's still, God's not a God of chaos. So he says, hey, to these I give, how awesome, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How many of you want the full measure of the fullness of Christ, wholeness as the body of Christ. We're moving toward that. And so my title, my message, if you wants to throw it up there, is are we there yet? <laughs> right? How many have kids, right? Road trips, right? Yes. Are we there yet? If we arrive, it's the constant question, well, are we there? Are we there based on our perception? We're hoping it's right around the corner. Your kids are like, yeah, we just left home. It's a two-hour drive. We're five minutes in. Are we there yet? Obviously not, but I've learned to tell my kids yes. Are we there yet? I'm like, yes, right there. Yes, there. You know, are we there yet? Yes, right there. Oh, are we at our final destination? Not yet, but we are there. And I think that's a big piece of what this looks like. This unity of the body of Christ, designed, purposed, commissioned by him, is are we there yet? Yeah, to where we are. But yet so much to grow, so far to go. There's like, and maybe it's around the corner. Maybe it's not real close by. But tomorrow, we're a little more there than we are today. (laughs) Praise the Lord, right? One of my favorite prophecies of all time, right? Isaiah 9, right? For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given, right? 
and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, all this stuff, right? And the government will be on his shoulders. And the next part is my favorite. For the increase of his government and peace is without end. Which means from that point forward, always there's an increase of God's government and God's peace in the earth, in the universe, always. So regardless of how circumstances feel right now, today is better than yesterday. In eternity, in a bigger perspective, you can be like, I am in the worst season of my entire life. But God said and is growing his government and his peace. So latch on in faith to what you can't see and know that we are almost there. And yet we're there right now, all at the same time, right? This is like, how fun is this, right? It's an adventure that you don't know the end of because if we knew all of it, zero adventure, right? You know what I mean? If you knew everything that was about to happen, it's like zero adventure left in the rest of your life. So there is, yes, there's a mystery of God that's so powerful for us to wait and go like, God, but, but, but. So how do we do it? How do we get there? We continue to submit to the Spirit. Like Tiff said, we open up when the rain comes and I go, I don't know, it's scary. How is that scary? That the God of the universe would come and direct and bless and move you forward toward his purposes for your life. There's nothing, what's scary is shutting that out and trying to do it yourself. Has anybody figured it out? Like if you're nailing it, please come show me, like show me how. If you have figured out how to do life apart from God and you're crushing it and you're totally happy and not interested in any more growth or progress, Come let me know, but I think we're all at a spot going, no, I am not. I am insufficient. It's like a reality of humanity to know we're not. Therefore, the need of the Holy Spirit, regardless of where you are, where you are in life, in the process, in growth, whether you even believe in God or not, you are aware that you are not complete. If you have God, you have the Holy Spirit, you know you're being made perfect, but not yet. You're there, I'm like right here, as much as I have walked with God and he has done in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm there, but not yet. Certainly not done, does that make sense? Process is what this all looks like. Mm, that's a little sidebar, didn't mean to, but whatever. Mm. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, that's huge. The truth is not malleable, it's not changeable, and it's absolute, it's eternal, and it doesn't move. Truth is what truth is, spoken in love. It's not love to not speak truth. It's like, okay, anyway. I could go off on that. I won't, I won't, all right? Whew, all right. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And that's this piece, like Christ, the head, he gave to the fivefold ministry, the fivefold giftings, this ability to structure the ligaments, the tendon, like everything to be connected and to pour down, to run through the nervous system of the body of Christ is those he's appointed. Now, when they use it for personal gain, it's damaging and hurtful, right? 
when the evangelist is going after it and just so feisty that they run people off the, you know, like it's, it can be damaging, but there's passion in that that's really good. The prophets will go for it. Like, I don't care if it hurts you, right? Like, but, they, but you need to hear it. All these gifts that are part of this expression of the body of Christ that we're all growing into and leaning into a greater revelation of who he is and what he says about us. So what does this all, I guess, what does this all mean? I feel like we're in an awesome season in history right now, obviously by technology and the ability to hear everything that's happening across the entire globe, globe can be an overwhelming amount of information. It's very hard, but also such a gift to not have to wait six months to hear about a revival that breaks out or a church that something amazing happens across the globe. And we like, oh, look, it's on my phone. Like we just get this in such a heartbeat. What a powerful, awesome, amazing time. And I think it's really cool because we're seeing these expressions all over and they're not necessarily brand new, but the church is growing in these expressions of going, hey, look, we've got denominations, we've got streams, we've got our little preferences and the way we do things. And those shouldn't be divisive, right? In Revelation, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. That's the, that's the spirit among the body, inside the body, accusing and tearing apart and destroying the very body of Christ that's supposed to be united. Jesus' final prayer in the garden before he went to the cross, right? That they would be one as you and I are one. I and you and you and them and them and us. And this is the expression is that the body would be one. But the accuser of the brethren comes in and finds all the little reasons to judge, all the little reasons to point and, and they should believe like we and da, da, like, sounds like a repetition of five groups. It's divided, separated, combative that should be all of one that Christ came to restore. And I mentioned this in first service and I say this reverently, like we have a generation of young people that have been like we've never seen before struggling with self-harm hatred of their own body, this hatred of their own, who they are and per, and like, so that's re, re, like developed into cutting themselves with sharp objects to, do, to dull pain that they believe, like, and you're like, what, how do they, where do they come up with this kind of stuff? And I would propose that it's been modeled to them in the church for a long time. The church has come against itself, disliking its parts, cutting them, hurting them, damaging Self-harm has been in a result of the accuser of the brethren for an awful long time. And we got a generation going like, I don't even know why I think this. No, like that's, no, that's heartbreaking. However, as Christ always does, comes to restore and redo. And we saw at the Jesus rallies and an effort of the last, just a few last couple of weeks, three, at least three girls come like, they got a word of knowledge for this. And three of these girls, scars on their arms disappeared. On the spot, my son was right behind one of them. I was like, what in the world? Like, God is doing, this is what the Spirit of God does when he's alive and well. And the church says, yes, let it rain, let it rain. We open ourselves up. Like, all that's been broken is not a reason to be ashamed. It's a reason to lean in and say, more Holy Spirit, come, let it rain, let it rain, let it rain. Like, here's where we are. And I feel like Martin Smith wrote this crazy song <laughs> a long time ago. I think I was in high school. Um, did you feel the mountains tremble? Do you know this song? He was 25 years ago keying into something that probably was manifesting 
somewhat, but in that time in the 90s was probably one of the more divided times of the, de the denominationalism in America, at least, that we've seen. And some of it's gotten better, some of it's gotten worse, but he keys into some of this stuff and he's like, did you feel the mountains tremble? Did you hear the oceans roar? When the people rose to sing of Jesus Christ, the risen one, that's happening. Did, I mean, this was early and like nobody was doing worship at concerts until these guys began to go, no, we're gonna gather and we're gonna sing and it's not gonna be just our church. It's gonna be whoever shows up and everybody coming. Oh man, when the people rose to sing, so powerful. Did you feel the people tremble? Did you hear the singers roar when the lost began to sing? Gosh, I'm gonna cry. Why do that? Anyway, because it's happening, guys. It's so good. Anyway, pull it together, man. It's good. Anyway, you guys can start playing. And we see that, God, you're moving a mighty river through the nations. Young and old will turn to Jesus. Wow, come on. Wow. In verse, verse three right here, do you feel the darkness tremble when all the saints join in one song and all the streams flow as one river to wash away our brokenness? Like we all got brokenness. And it's not by pointing it out that we get anywhere because all, if Jesus is the only way to the Father, <laughs> that we all go through the same gate when we get there. So all the streams are gonna flow in one river somehow, some way to that place because there are not four or five gates to the kingdom. His name's Jesus. His Holy Spirit is for us. This is, this is the how, this is the why that we would not be divided as the body of Christ, but we would love every toe, every finger, every ear, every hair follicle of the body of Christ go like, what is the purpose of that? I don't know, but God made it, so it's there, and I'm gonna find out why it's important. We're gonna see this come to pass, it has to. It's prophesied, it's been promised. And how much we can affect the coming of the prophetic words that have been declared, I think we can expedite them by our willingness to submit. Otherwise we just sit back and go like, God just sovereignly did it all. So we'll just ride this thing out. Or we step in because he's a God who calls us to participate with him. And we commit, don't point fingers, don't look around and go like, well, I hope they get on board. What about you? Start right there, end right there and get wrecked by his Holy Spirit, committed to his word, passionate about the gospel, passionate about the spirit, get involved in government, get involved in society, don't compromise. You can be in culture and not compromise your values. Those Herodians, that was their, that idolatry crept all into their home. You can see it in the architectural digs. It's like these Israelites that were like, oh, we can have it both ways. And you're like, oh. we look at it and go, that's horrible. How did they get there? How do we get there? but to soften our hearts and say, Holy Spirit, come, wreck me, change me, redo me, renew me. So we're gonna sing some Let It Rain. Come on, stand up. We're just gonna declare this and we can do this. It's, it should be as the body, but it also, if it's not out of your heart, if it's not, as Josh McGreedy says, it's not personal, it's not powerful. So make it personal and do it together because the body needs every single one of us. None excluded.
If you're going like, I don't even know what this body is, jump in, you're part, you're welcome, you're invited. You might be like, I don't understand anything, good. So the Holy Spirit is there to train you, teach you, connect to this, to this body, to these people, or find a body you can connect to that'll grow you. I, it's, we don't own anybody. It's the body of Christ. He's the head. Praise God. Let's worship together for a minute.
strong. There we go. I'll have a band kind of keep playing this, but I feel like some people in this room are feeling that like, what part of the body am I and where do I matter? That's a real wrestle sometimes. They're like, I, I don't know, where do I fit? The only place for that answer is in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from a program of man. It doesn't come from somebody organizing you into the right group. It's, a, it's the anointing that comes only from the one who designed and formed and fashioned you for his purpose. And you can't find it apart from the one who empowers the very thing that might be hidden in there. You might not know what it is, but I wanna invite you to come up if that's you and come forward and beg of the Holy Spirit, let it rain. Let him expose, reveal, empower, anoint. This is how the body works, is when every part is active. When every part is activated and there is no man-made system, we'll mess it up if we do it. (laughs) But if we say, Holy Spirit, you're it, you're how. It's scary though, you gotta submit, go like, not my plans, not my way. Some people may think they know their spot and they might be wrong because they've created it or built it on their own. That's you too, to come forward. Just go, I don't know for sure, maybe. But way more important than coming up front is what you do in your heart before the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, reveal what you've fashioned me for.